Hello everybody and welcome back to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular co-host Corporal Hicks, aka Aaron Percival, and joining me are usual partners in crime, Ridgetop, hey again everyone, and Xenomorphin. Hola! And we're also joined by a special guest, uh, members of the community and uh, particularly the forum, we'll know him as Ultramorph. Hey, how you doing? You're, you're also on all, most of the Facebook groups as well, aren't you? Yes, I am. I don't know if you want to want to go with your, your real name for that. Yeah, so it's all over Facebook. I'm Mike Green. <laughs> and if Ultramorph's presence hasn't clued you in, it means we're going to be doing a comic uh, episode. I always love to bring uh, Ultramorph on for the comic ones. Yeah, I, I like to be on the comic ones. That's kind of my, uh, my main uh, point of interest at this point with the series, so it's always good to be on and discuss. And he's normally beating me to post in the solicitations on the board as well. Yeah, you beat me to it this week for... Uh resistance or whatever that current one is called rescue i i mistakenly mistakenly reported it as resistance i was like oh shit went back and fixed everything i gotta say the new cover art for that looks awesome yeah for rescue number two yeah Mm. i want a poster of that that's that's like one of the best covers that isn't tristan jones the last like five years Mm. but very reminiscent of um covenant yeah, the Covenant poster. That's what I thought about. It's like the Covenant poster, but with the aliens feel. Yeah, with the with Conestalga ship at the bottom. And that actually reminded me of Liam Sharp's cover for Fast Track to Heaven. That's what it reminded me of too. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. Uh, but no, we're not we're not future talking rescue or anything here. We're actually going to be chatting the last full Alien series to come out, which, as of recording, is Aliens Dust to Dust. It might be William Gibson's Alien Three by the time I finished editing this, but that will be a topic <laughs> for another episode. So yes, this is this is episode eighty three, and we're going to be talking Gabriel Hardman's Aliens Dust to Dust. Now, uh, it finished its four-issue run a good few months ago. When was it? Was it February? Uh, was it? Or was it January? I know it was this year. Yeah. The last one was, was up. And we've actually been meaning to do this one for a while now, but it just get getting pushed back with um, a lot of like, the current news kind of things, you know, with like Blackout's release and um, the Isolation Digital Series release. But we finally got there. We've got there. Before we start then, shall we just read the synopsis? for the series obviously there are going to be spoilers talked about here um so if you don't want to be spoiled then you know come back later but just as a recap here is the synopsis i think this is for issue one but um i think it can apply for the whole series here from master storyteller gabriel hardman a terrifying examination of why we fear the xenomorphs in deep space the trono colony on the planet lv871 finds itself under attack by mysterious and deadly creatures of unknown origin emergency evacuations are ordered and shuttles are taken off as the massacre sweeps the colony all that stands between 12 year old maxon and his mum making it to safety to the safety of the spaceport is a horde of aliens. You'll be grip- gripping the edge of your seat as a mother and son fight for their lives against the deadliest monsters in the galaxy. So, short reviews then before we get into the specifics. As the guest, Ultramorph, do you want to lead us off? What did you think of, um, of Dust to Dust? 
Yeah, I liked it overall. I thought it was a uh, a nice little self-contained story. Um, I thought the art uh, had some really great moments. It has some uh, some great-looking xenomorphs, and it was uh, definitely interesting to uh, a main character who was a, a child. It was a little reminiscent of Newt, so I thought that was a, a fun. Well, I don't think it's any groundbreaking, but uh, I had fun with it. Is he morphing? Yeah, picking up on Newt, I, I I did feel it was like a bit like Newt's tail comic. It's meant to be told from the perspective of the child, but I don't that was conveyed well enough. I thought we started out interesting. Couple of wasted opportunities in it. It's it's basically an A to Z survival story, so uh, I liked it. But I, I had some problems with it. But yeah, it, it's a likable comic. Okay, uh, Rich up. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty self-contained story. Like it felt like a, like short, you know, compared to some of the other comics. But um, I liked it. It was an interesting survival tale that focused on this kid that you know was just going through horrific experience after experience. Uh, again, spoilers in this podcast if you haven't read it yet. But he loses his mother at the end of the the first issue, and that kind of becomes um an important theme going through the comic. It wasn't great, you know, but it was good. It was a solid comic for me, and I definitely will be picking up the the paperbacks when it comes out. Just a side tangent here already before I uh, share my thoughts, but would you pick up a trade for a series you didn't actually enjoy? Uh, okay. It would depend if it had aspects about it I enjoyed, like if I really liked the artwork about it, you know. There's, there's some comics out there, like just weird ones like Deadliest of the Species that are kind of cool to have, even though they're, you know, not the best. So you, you wouldn't pick them up for like the behind the scenes kind of stuff, perhaps? Well, it depend how extensive that would be. Um, I know for, uh, what's the one that's getting the big hardcover coming out recently? Defiance. The one that we all, all loved. No, it life, was... Uh, life and Death? No, this it wasn't the Prometheus one. It was an alien story with like the retro artwork. Oh, Dead Orbit? Yeah, that's right. Dead Orbit. I keep getting that confused with that little comic uh, Dead Space that came out with one of the DVDs. Yo, I can't even remember Dead Space. I can only ever remember Sand Trap. It was a very short... Uh, Sand Trap was longer, but it was a very short... I know I'm on a tangent here, but very short AVP comic. I actually really liked, and I do hope that some of those harder-to-find comics like Sand Trap or Dead Space uh, find a, a release. I do think it's time for AVP Omnibus 3, so... Just throw that out there and we'll get back to, to dust to dust. But anyway, <laughs> yes, I, I would buy a series that I wasn't crazy about, but, but honestly, I did like this. Maybe I'm selling it like it, it was like it was leaning towards great for me. Just didn't quite get there, but it was still one of the more solid comics in recent memory. I was going to say, surely, you, because I know we've both brought The Predator, even though we are slowly despising it more and more. So <laughs> I thought, I thought that, that would have been a bit of a. A funny. Well, you kind of have to separate the expanded universe from from the main films right now. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think Force is just kind of killing it right now, or do you think it's still not quite up to their their golden age days? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're putting out some solid books right now. I'm kind of waiting for the next big thing. Uh, I like that we've gotten uh, Dead Orbit and now Dust to Dust and sort of smaller, self-contained. Uh, it's cool that they're doing what appears to be uh, a stealth Amanda Ripley ongoing. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of waiting for the for the next big thing. You think they are ever going to conclude the um, Life and Death Fire and Stone arc? As soon as Disney cancels the new Alien sequel, yes. Uh, but uh, how soon that'll be, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. See, I, I, I can't say I, 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 I enjoy Covenant. I know I'm a bit of an outlier here, but aside from the alien stuff, <laughs> funnily enough, in Covenant, you know, I really enjoy that film. So I, I like it up to the point where David appears. The, so all the stuff up to that point, and then it kind of goes down. You know, aside thing. from the second and third act, or anything alien related in the alien movie, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I dislike. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like it's a great it. Prometheus. Uh, it's a great Prometheus sequel till a crappy CG Xenomorph shows up. <laughs> mm. But I, I do, I do enjoy that film. But I do, I have been so enjoying the expanded universe of late. As have I. Yeah, the novels. I. What do you think, Aaron? Are, are the Titan or Dark Horse killing it the most right now? I feel like you've got to give it to Titan purely for the Cold Forge. I think that eclipses anything Dark Horse has done lately. Or the other Titan books, um, which I'm I'm sorry to say because I do actually quite like the Rage War, but I think the Cold Forge is at a completely whole other level. Yeah, Titan's doing really interesting stuff, especially with books like David's drawings and and stuff like that. And I'm looking forward to like the Blueprints book that's supposed to be coming out later this year. Some of their art books have felt a little lacking, yeah, like yeah. the Covenant art book and the art for the Predator. Like there was just so much that went into the conceptual. Uh, designs for that movie that was left out of those and you look back to the prometheus art book which was just incredible so i would like to see their making movies books improve a little bit but as far as the novels go and as far as some of the other book releases go titan and dark horse as well have, have both been doing really well well and the new be uh, behind the scenes of alien book that's coming out by jonathan Rinsley. yes i've heard i've heard high praises for that one so maybe maybe that'll shut me up well he's he's supposed to have done really good work on apes and star wars i haven't read those making of books but yeah i, I hear they're they're pretty well regarded anyway we're already digressing um <laughs> <laughs> first tangent of the episode so my turn i pretty much agree with you guys i think it was a solid story i don't think it was quite up there with uh, dead orbit but i do think it was um you know it, it was it was a solid entertaining read there are a couple of issues with it which i'm sure we'll talk about but it is another one where i've really really enjoyed just the straightforwardness of it but also a lot of the artwork you know like um like dead orbit like hunters 2 there's just been so many panels in it that i would happily have you know printed out and framed and up on the wall so that alone gives it a you know gives it a, a fair few points in my books especially when a lot of the problems i have with the older you know the older runs are i don't always quite like the artwork in them i suppose more specifically the coloring in them but lately it's just solid run after solid run Should we talk specifics then? What should we start with? Should we start with the big thing? The uh, the inherited traits thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the theme of the overall comic, isn't it? Like, that's that's really the most, the biggest question that this comic presents, I think. And I do think it's it's ambiguous enough. I know when we were interviewing Gabriel in, in one of our previous podcasts, was that like two podcasts ago or something? I think that was 81. I think that was 81. You were saying that you felt like the question had been answered by the by the end of uh, mm-hmm. issue four, but but he uh, he rebutted that 
uh, he said he he meant for it to be ambiguous. And even though that this alien attacks the queen at the end, it's still very much an open question because there's a scene earlier in that issue where she pounces him and you don't know if, if she was attacking him or, or what was going on. I thought the question was interesting. I mean, I've, I've remembered thinking about that, that question for, for long before this comic, you know, they talk about genetic memory and alien resurrection even. And so having that idea kind of explored a little bit was, I, I think honestly the comic's strongest point. I know some people don't like that idea at all of maybe like a pseudo kind of, I guess reincarnation in terms of like Ex- explain it fully, um, just in case. Okay, so like I like I was saying in the beginning of of this podcast, the the boy who we follow here, the main character Maxon, his mother is infected in the first issue, and by the end of the first issue, is killed by a chestburster. Now this this alien, as it's growing, becomes a recurrent alien that's following this group of survivors over over this this story. And there's a couple of instances where it protects the boy, where it could have killed him. It implies, yeah, and implied to protect the boy because like you'll see like maybe another human character gets in, in an argument or something or takes something away from him. And then the alien will, will kill that person. And, and some of the other characters pick up on this as well in the story. And they, they argue maybe they should leave the boy behind because the alien is following them because of the boy. And then later the boy seems to be confident. He's like, Oh, she won't attack me, but then it pounces him. But we don't really know if it was attacking him or not. And then at the end, as he's making his escape, the queen alien shows up and this alien who was birthed from his mother comes in and attacks the queen and that allows him to escape. So that's that's kind of the gist of it. You're, you're right in that it is very much the aspect of this series that it will be known as. You know, Dust to Dust is going to be that series where the um, the, the alien inherits the, the mother's, or seems to inherit the mother's, you know, sort of um, personal... Emotional connection yeah, to the boy or whatever. Whichever way you want to do it. So you're, you were cool with it? You were okay with this one? This aspect, I—I I mean, I kind of take Gabriel at his argument. I think—I think it was left ambiguous enough. You know, I, I don't think that question was definitively answered, even though it kind of initially seemed like it for us. You know, I—I I always like it when when the aliens have a bit more personality, even something with like grid and, and AVP. But taking that to behavior rather than just physical traits, like I—I I think it's an interesting question so yeah personally i i was cool with it what about you ultramorph what, what was your stance on on that particular aspect of the law in this yeah i'm 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 not terribly bothered by it either because uh it's like we said i mean yes it, it seemingly attacks the queen at the end uh allowing him to uh to get in the ship and get away uh but we don't see what would have happened next uh if there hadn't been a ship he'd stayed but would have continued attacking the queen or, or what would have happened so i mean it's it's ambiguous enough that um i i don't necessarily uh have much of an issue with it and yeah i mean i i like any story uh going back to labyrinth where you know we see a little more uh intelligence or something just something a little more going on with the aliens you know in, in that big old head of theirs uh so i thought it was cool um, I mean, it's it's certainly going to be on every list for the next five to ten years of most controversial moments in an alien story. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm okay with it. Like a lot of stuff in the series, maybe they could have explored it a little more. Um, but it was it was fine. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> now, Xenomorphin, I know you are going to disagree with the ambiguity yeah. assessment. So, uh, what did you think? Well, I, I'm I'm in um, I'm in sort of two camps here because. As a concept, um, when you guys interviewed the guy behind this, it's like you said, it's, it's been a concept that has been around for a long time. Fandom has theorized 
purely speculatively that maybe the reason the original alien acted like it did towards Lambert was either because Kane had a thing for Lambert or because it emerged from a male host. And maybe it was even more basic than that. I like playing around with that as a concept because as Ridgetop mentioned in Alien Resurrection, one of the interesting things I liked about Resurrection is that it brought up that factor of genetic memory. And once you raise that, that gets very interesting in terms of story selling potential. What I disliked about it was how in that last sequence it was executed. Also, just before I get onto that, I will say I, I would have, it comes out of boy's mother i would have preferred it if we had not seen the obvious thing of her being face hugged i would have preferred it that she was just woken up and we had no idea because then the chest burst would have become that much more of a surprise to us once you see a character that's face hugged you know what's going to happen it wasn't the, the, the payoff wasn't there as much as it could have been and also going back to that in terms of the alien protecting it there was an earlier scene where a different alien came up to the mother when we knew she's impregnated and it didn't attack her but it sort of just turned away i thought that was a moment which was i say about squandered moments i think it that was a point where the that should have attacked the boy and it didn't and it had no reason not to try and abduct the boy but we come to the end of the story and it's hardman he mentioned in the interview you guys did that he wanted it to be very ambiguous and my problem with it was that it was anything but ambiguous ambiguity is when you use a in the process of storytelling it's deliberately framed so that you could you have at least two possibilities and the audience has no idea which one is the true answer and um, there are two moments in aliens where it happens there's the moment where pharaoh in the dropship is attacked cameron has since talked about it was deliberate you don't know whether the alien deliberately attacked her as a threat or it was just the drop trip crashed because it was you know it was trying to abduct her and it had no idea and the other part is of course the moment where they cut the power did the power go out because they were just tunneling through the cables or did they deliberately do it because they came out of hosts which would have had who would have had knowledge of you know power systems and electricity did they do it because of one or the we as the audience don't know but we've we've thrived for decades now on making <laughs> theories up about it here i think what would have been interesting is if you had several aliens approach the boy and you had the one that didn't have an arm which was how we knew it was the one that had emerged from his mother if it had sort of got in front of them turned to them and hissed at them we wouldn't have known if it was hissing a warning warning them away or if it was just communicating something and then the boy uses that as a as a way to get away that's ambiguity what we have here is the boy is, you know, he's in the midst of the hive. You see several normal aliens are, you know, turning towards him. The queen is there. The queen is actually not a threat because there's no reason to assume she's separated from her egg sac. She's just sitting there laying eggs, I assume. She's got no reason to have separated from it. So she's actually not a threat. The threats all the other adult aliens but what we see is this one-armed alien it 
literally leaps on her back like a, a rodeo bull riding thing. It looks silly. I forgive it a bit more because it's in a comic. In a live action, it would not have worked at all, I think. But there is no other way to interpret that scene. It's explicit. It is anything but ambiguous. It leaps on the queen. There's no reason for it to attack her other than protectiveness. I would have loved it if it was ambiguous, but the method the writer used to make it is it protecting him? There's no other way to explain that. That's what I didn't like about it. And the fact that it, it did look a bit silly to me anyway, seeing an alien jumping on a back of a queen and trying to ride her like a bull. To me, that just didn't work. But as an ambiguity thing, it just did not work. So I wish that had been changed. There are other moments in it that it totally works, but I think that was way too on the nose for me, that part of the end. Um, I also did like, if we're talking about you know, the host thing. I did like that a mention was given about um, some of the things in the colony had apparently emerged out of genetic engineered pigs. And one character says, oh, they, they've got some hog in them. I would have loved to have seen some of that, but I, I think that was a nice little nod to those Alien 3 type, um, you know, characteristics of the host. Yeah, I was I was very Designer disappointed hogs. we didn't see a uh, a pig alien at any point. Like they <laughs> cut that up and then didn't do it. That, that was disappointing. <laughs> well, that that was a mention that you quite liked, wasn't it, um, Rich Top? Yeah, and we we talked about that with Gabriel as well. And as for him, it was just kind of a, a nod to uh, to Alien Three in a sense, isn't that what he said? Or was he just trying to to further portray the notion that they take on characteristics of of their hosts and and having that add to this question i guess yes i'm emphasizing the dna reflex stuff but i completely agree with you i think it was a nice mention but it would have been cool to see them because i always get a little bit of a kick out of seeing multiple variants of the alien together in the same uh, frame same panel whatever yeah we we talked about this when we were doing a recent let's play of um, aliens versus predator requiem for the psp there's a scene where you go into this barn and you see all these chest bursted livestock and we're just like well we're the aliens like that That'd probably look pretty cool, but a lot of times it seems like those opportunities aren't really explored enough. Mm, completely agree. But going to the um, going to the inherited mother's nature, I I find myself agreeing a bit with Xenomorphim in the I found uh, particularly in my original read through, I found that that moment when it jumped the queen was when I was like, yeah, it is deliberately um, defending him. But, you know, Gabriel said he didn't intend for a definitive answer. You know, when I went back and read it, you know, you can sort of explain those other moments away as not being quite intentional defence. Perhaps mom, as I like to call her in the end, you know, she was going for the the larger target, you know. Because let's be honest, in theory, um, especially with the, you know, animal kingdom, the bigger thing is perceived as the, um, you know, the bigger threat. And then you deliberately see it attack Maxon as well. So it's like, yeah, it's it's not defending him. And the problem with that is it's to me it was compounded because not only do you lose that ambiguity, but because you go from the alien attacking the boy and I know some people I did originally, I thought it was another alien attacking him because 
the alien that attacks him has both arms. Apparently that was a, a mistake, I think, in the art. The problem is that it's it compounds it because there because there's no way to reconcile those behaviors, it doesn't make the behavior look consistently ambiguous. It makes it look schizophrenic because it's too much of a, con- a contradiction. And like the, he himself said, I think in that interview, there isn't any way to reconcile them. So I think ambiguity is great, but when it makes something look like it's an- acting schizophrenic, it's um, it, it, it comes across like it's you know it's defeating the purpose of even e- examining that. Let, let, let me put this open question to everybody then as a way to explain perhaps the behavior you know how much leeway is are you going to give you know that we don't fully understand the aliens perhaps it was challenging the queen as such you know i think somebody was it Ristop mentioned earlier you know the possibility that mom was going to be molting or whatever you know how much leeway do you guys are you guys willing to give that particular aspect in terms of that we just don't know enough maybe yeah, I mean, that's pretty much where I stand. We just, we, we don't know enough. Um, yeah, we had kind of debated Eric before the podcast that I think maybe mother, quote unquote, alien could have been molting and challenging the queen for dominance, or maybe the queen, uh, was planning to, to kill those two and the mother instead wanted to have the boy impregnated. It's like, what does, does this alien want the kid to like join her in the next life or something weird like that? Like, it's just an interesting question for me. I, I, even though yes, the, the alien attacks the queen, they're still aliens. Like we just don't definitively know what, what was going on there. So I think it's an interesting question. And even if it was, even if like there was some sort of emotional bond that was passed on to the alien, I think that's, that doesn't make me necessarily grown, you know? That's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And this is what the writer was going for. It's not like, oh, this ruins the continuity. It's like, no, this is a comic that was asking this question. And I think it's an interesting question. But then why not have the courage of you? If you because as I said this felt too on the note. If it was something like it, it got between the boy and the other. The other the adult aliens were the threat to him. The, the queen's just sitting there on her throne laying eggs. She's not actually a threat. If you're going to have it that much of a, it's, you know, there's no other way to interpret it is attacking the queen. If it would have been something like, as I said, it got between the boy and the other adults and it hissed at them, that's ambiguity. But once you go to the point where it's attacking the queen, have the courage of your convictions and go with it attacking her. Go with it. Well, we, we don't know why. Bond. We don't know why it's attacking. If anything, I think that lends more to Ridgetop's idea of, you know, perhaps it was just challenging the Queen. But it, I mean, it was younger than all the other. I mean, if you're going to have one that's challenging the Queen, it's and is ready to molt. That thing was only a few hours. It was it was younger than the one on the Nostromo. If you're going to have one that's going to do that, it's going to be one of the others that's older, that's in the hive. To me, it just and okay. If you're going to do that, do that. But it was just like I think he wanted to do a moment where it was like Ripley and the power loader. Get away from her, you you bitch. Like a fist pump moment. But it just it just didn't work for me at all. I mean. You know, you guys bought it, but to me, I just, I can't buy it. To me, that is the writer going, it's protecting the boy. It's killing the queen. It's not even killing the, the proper threats, but it's, he's trying to make it a big spectacular. 
spectacular moment and it just did not work for me. I would have loved it if it was more ambiguous because that's the that's the power in the story when it is ambiguous. And when it does something like this, which was a big statement, that's when it fell apart for me. I don't know if it was trying to kill the queen. It could have just been going like, hey, stop in a violent way. <laughs> Having a ride. <laughs> yeah, and, and that gets back to, to something I brought up earlier. I mean, it, it's kind of cut short because the, the ship is there. He gets on and he leaves. But if it hadn't you know, been there, we, we don't know how that whole scenario would have played out. So I think I think that, you know, like you were saying, I, I think well, that you know it's going to play out. Either it's going to kill the queen or the queen and the breast are going to fall upon it there's, there's no way of coming out of that situation where everything's I, I don't necessarily know that it would have fought the queen to the death i, I don't well it's 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 like there's only the queen isn't going to go okay you're fine and they're just going to part company what one of them is going to come to grief <laughs> it's no there's not another option well we've we've seen in some of the movies like like alien resurrection where the two aliens attack another and i know a lot of fans have a problem with that scene also, an AVPR, just where the... That's, that film's one of greatest moments. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the sound effects might be a little off for that moment, but, yeah. you know... Also, even Chet with AVPR, where it just uh, the alien's kind of creeping on the, the homeless person there, and Chet whacks the alien out of the way. Like, you see that they can be violent with each other sometimes for reasons that are, you know, various. That That's true, exactly. That's I mean, the queen could have just swatted the other alien aside and put it in its place. Hmm. We don't know. But ultimately, and I suppose this is always going to be the downside of the expanded universe, is that they can't, well, the Cold Four decides, since that is quite definitive, you know, they can't always be definitive with what they are playing with. They are, you know, what ifs kind of thing. Bound by bound by license. Bound by not fucking up the film, uh, messing with the films too much, I, I think is more in terms of it, I guess. Yeah, I can't quite decide if I like it. Or not? I think it's certainly an interesting question, and I actually wanted to to ask you about this um, Ultramorph. It didn't feel what, what's the what's the phrase the baseball phrase um, out of left field. No, it, it didn't because they you know they had been setting it up you know throughout the series earlier that moment where it you know kind of lunges at him and it's ambiguous. So yeah, I mean it, it didn't feel like this is something that just came at us at the in the last issue. I mean I I somewhat expected something to happen. I mean more the the that being the particular aspect of this series. So, you know, uh, Xenomorphin mentioned that it was a theory, you know, that Kane inherited an attraction or whatever from, not Kane, sorry, Big Chap inherited an interaction from Kane. Um, you know, that's something I've known about. That's something um, Xenomorphin's known about. I, I assume Ridgetop know about it too. But it's not something that gets talked about a lot these days. So were you aware of that theory um, going into this series or was it like a, ooh, that's new kind of thing for you? I was no, I was not aware of that uh, of that particular theory with uh, with Big Chap. No. So did did it feel weird in that regards? You know, was it what the fuck's this, or was it? Uh, yeah, that actually makes a bit of sense, kind of thing. No, it didn't feel out of left field because I mean we we've seen the the DNA reflex in other series. Usually, it's it's just played out physically. You know, the aliens look a little different, or they walk on all fours, or something like that. So the idea of an inherited sort of memories and behavior. Uh, that that doesn't uh, that didn't ring too far out of left field for me. No. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I was I was curious about that. So there was there was a particular panel that Xenomorphin mentioned earlier, which was actually one of my favorite panels. Was when an alien came across uh, Mother and Maxon in in the first issue and sort of looks at him, turns away, and walks off. 
I love that panel. I really do. I think I think the whole it coming out of the darkness thing's really cool. The 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 question I was or the the alternative sort of idea I had for this series coming off that particular panel was would it have been more palatable if perhaps Maxon had been infected? We as the readers were not aware and what was instead happening was Mom was defending a host. Would that have been more palatable? I think given the fact that he was probably, if he was infected, he would have been infected around the same time as, as his mother. Unless he, he just was a queen, of course. Yeah, that's true. Um, so maybe, yeah, if he was implanted with a queen, then maybe the alien, you know, was defending the new queen. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I always took it as it was just the alien at the beginning didn't attack because his mother was impregnated. No, I just mean more in lieu of this whole inherited mother's love kind of thing. I don't know. I, I just like like how it was presented personally. I don't have too much of a problem with it. But yeah, that, that could have been an interesting other take for sure. Okay, maybe that's more a question for Xenomorphin then. Would that have made it more acceptable to you? Yeah, because you get the absolute logical consistency. It's totally in line with the films. I will say, artistically, I love that those few panels as well. It's just that I, when I came to reread it a second time, I was going, wait a minute, why didn't it abduct the kid? Because the kid's not infected. I, I think that would have actually been a, made for a gruesome, nice little twist in the tale, actually, if we'd have seen a hint that he was perhaps infected with a queen right at the end. I, I would have actually quite liked that. Yeah, I, I think that would have worked nicely, yeah. So another question off that panel is, did it bother anybody that the alien didn't take the mother and just hive her up so she couldn't be running around? Or do you think they are consciously like letting the infected host spread around and, you know, pop elsewhere? Well, well blame Alien up. 3 for that, because that's already set the precedent. <laughs> that's a problem I have with yeah. Alien 3, actually. Yeah, I'd go um, with that, but it's already done at that point. This kind of goes to one of the topics I wanted to bring up next was that one of the things I really liked about this comic was the the size of the colony seemed like a very established, almost like a, a full city, you know, rather than a small colony like Hadley's Hope. Um, so this was like a, from the beginning, it's very chaotic, like with them driving out of their apartment complex. Like you just see this is, is a massive city colony. And it was just one of the good moments of this comic. And there's a few of them where, it kind of speaks to a wider narrative that we don't see that I would have liked to see. Like there's another moment where the ship that they were trying to rendezvous with the USS Carver falls out of the sky, like aliens, colonial Marine style, which apparently that ship was infected as well. And so I'm like, Oh, well, what was the story of the survivors that got on that ship in the outbreak there? So for me seeing uh, an outbreak in a colony of that scale was it's kind of like akin to that sequel of 28 days later the 28 weeks later which i really like that movie almost as much as the first one of just like having this city go to hell very quickly and as a resident evil fan as well like i i really like seeing that happen in this intense survival situation so yeah i i did think that the comic just had really strong moments and if if it was kind of going back to to the initial point here if, if it was this massive outbreak, I don't think there's any way the aliens could have, you know, hived everyone up completely and kept track of all these people trying to escape. Uh, obviously, they'd just be killing or implanting people, but who knows how much time they would actually spend bringing people back to the hive. Okay, well, let's 
Let's go on to your topic of discussion there in, in terms of the, the setting, in terms of the big colony. Was that something else that anybody picked up on? Was that a particular point that other people really liked? Yeah, I, I like that as well. I, I like, uh, there's a couple, you mentioned the uh, the carver, but there's also the scene later on where they're uh, trying to get to the escape ship. And they're like, oh, uh, the bridge is out. Oh, they must, the engineers must have blown the bridge when they, uh, when they tried to get away. And somebody even says, wait, you're the administrator of the colony. How do you not know they did that? And I, I definitely liked it in this story. There's a lot of things that uh, are implied to have happened that we don't necessarily see. Uh, it's definitely an aspect of the story that I liked. I actually quite liked a lot of the sort of design around the extra world in this series. You know, one of the one of the issues I have with the older series is particularly the first one, actually, particularly um, series one, is that stuff that's not from the films that's trying, you know, trying to expand the world doesn't always look like it fits the alien world. And and I do think series, I do think book one's a fucker for that. But a lot of the things I liked in this one was the expanded stuff. You know, it felt. It felt like it slotted right into Alien. Um, you know, the the design of the the car. You know, that had uh, shades of the angles of the APC and things. Even things this little. You know, it sounds silly, but it, it's such a little thing. But it made such a big difference to me. The way the comic opened with um, with Maxon's room and just like the the angle of the support struts around his bed. You know, they looked like they'd been ripped from the same space IKEA that everybody visited for um, you know, the Nostromo and Sevastopol and, and the computer and the spaceport and stuff like that. It's so small, but it makes such a big deal in terms of making it feel like a part of this wider world. I really liked that. Yeah. It to me I, you mentioning that um to me it's the art style. I I did notice he He's better at doing technical details on hardware, slightly better than he is with drawing um, human figures. But it totally slotted in with the architectural style somewhere between Hadley's Hope and Sevastopol. Um, And the fact that they did start it amidst the infection, it's not like an origin story Mm. Val and Nest got there. I think that. that was, yeah, that was... There's pros and cons with that because on one hand, I, I like that because you don't have all the exposition. You already know what's going to happen. It's a Hadley's Hope writ large scenario. On the other hand, it did mean we were – because like in Aliens, we're already invested in Ripley's story by the time we get to Hadley's Hope. And then we have the other character. With this, it's a straight – a to Z survival situation. So it meant that they're always on the clock and we didn't really get a chance to get invested in any of the characters except for the kid. And that's mostly because it's A, from his perspective, and B, there's this mystery about the alien's behaviour in regards to him. So there's pros and cons. But in terms of art style, I will say I really liked the art style. And it was also really nice to see a return of the Cameron Stan Winston rich-headed design, which will forever remain my favourite head design. But... um yeah, the the architecture, the vehicles. It, I, I know what you mean. It, it completely felt like part of the alien cinematic continuity because we've all seen some, especially some of the older comics, where some of the art style it's not bad. It's science fiction, but it 
doesn't feel like it belongs in the same continuity. And this this I could have totally bought as like storyboards to an alien film in terms of what the, the set design and the vehicles and um, they even had like a new, a diff, it wasn't a drop ship, but it was a, a shuttle, but it, it believably looked like it was like from the same manufacturers who'd made the drop ship and who'd made the Sulaco. It looked like it existed within that same continuity reference. So yeah, I, it really looked like um, a mixture of the Sevastopol and Hadley's Hope, and that really helped to bring that um, the sense of atmosphere through as well. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention that too. That that drop ship from the uh, end of issue one and the beginning of issue two. Exactly, that's one of my favorite little details. Like the civilian model escape ship. Exactly, it looks like it fits perfectly in the universe. It's like an updated sort of civilian model design. That was a, a really nice, just little thing that I appreciated. I like that little moment where it kind of comes through the clouds out of the storm. Um, Kind of a weird reference here, but it reminded me of the Matrix Revolutions, if you guys remember that. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, (laughs) totally. What was interesting about that panel as well was, you know, you also had a spy from one of the colony buildings. So, you know, that goes to implying the scale of the world and the scale of the the infestation that's taking place. So that's nice, just small, understated world building. Carrying on from that, one of the subplots is that they keep saying that oh, the terraforming didn't take. But I did find that at odds with the fact that this is way bigger than Hadley's Hope. This looks at least one, if not several cities large. And I I just, as a reader, I loved the scale of all this stuff. It felt very much like back in the days of book two sort of thing. But I was thinking to myself, if the terraforming didn't take how how did it get to that scale in the first place well i guess that's going to depend on what your aim with terraforming is i mean obviously it was a breathable planet it just wasn't what you'd call paradise so you know was it intended to be a a lush green earth-like place that was you know going to be aliens riser or you know was it like hadley's hope where they just wanted breathable air i'd assume they'd want more from it with you know the it didn't take statements because perhaps there was just more to the process that this particular colony didn't quite do you know it's a fair it's a fair point but i don't think it's a big necessarily a big no no it's it's not it's just it felt a little at odds because i I would have thought myself well even if you're talking about like wanting to get farmland or something you'd have thought that they would have figured that out by the time it gets to at least, you know, the size of a town like Hadley's Hope, they would have figured that out before it grew so huge that it just, it wasn't massive. It just did make me feel, oh, that's, it doesn't, there's more to tell here. Oh, and on the topic of the spaceship design as well, this is one it gets over William Gibson's Alien 3 for me because it did do something different. You know, I have a problem with that series in that everybody seems to use dropships as um, interstellar craft as shuttles. Yes. It was cool seeing them do something different with this. But you, you mentioned the artwork. Let's talk the artwork then. So, Ultramorph, what was your take on, on the visual style of this? Is, is it something that you, you know, was it a strength of this series? It was. Um, like, I, like I said earlier, I mean, he, uh, he draws a, a mean alien, especially like we're talking about, um, you know, we've talked about it just in context of behavior question. But I mean, I, I personally just enjoy the panel where the other alien is attacking the queen. 
he does a good job both with the aliens and like we've been talking about the ship design. I like that the series, uh, the artwork is uh, sort of as dark and dirty as it is. Um, it really gives you a feel of what's going on, especially in the early issues where they're uh, dealing with that sandstorm or that, that storm. That looked great. The, the sandstorm looked great, especially with the moments where the aliens are merging sort of out of the, um, you know, the haze of the storm. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I definitely like this. I, I enjoyed uh, especially the sequence where they were uh, sort of crawling across the cable, uh, the bridge that was out, the little bit at the end of issue three where he falls into the water. Uh, yeah, the artwork in this was uh, was very strong. So, yeah, definitely no complaints on, on that end from me. Rich Top, how about, how about you? So I, I really like the, the art of um, Gabriel Hardman, who, who also wrote it, which we saw that last with Dead Orbit as well. Don't forget Rain Burrito as well, though. You know, you always... I mean, I... Right, I, 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 I was about to bring him up. I was okay, about to okay. bring him up. So he, he did the uh, the coloring, right? Yeah, that's right. The color work. And Gabriel did did the line art. Yeah, the the colorists colorists have it rough in the comic industry. <laughs> they don't get a, as much recognition, I think, as as the line artists, unfortunately. Well, with me, it means the uh, the line artist always gets the blame in the past. But now I'm on, I'm only really recently, over the last few years, realizing just how important the colorists are. True, and like we've always talked about when we've when we've clamored for the the AVP recoloration that we got a tease of with that special edition, like the coloring can just make it feel like an entirely new comic. So yes, rain, rain burrito did the colors for that and they are good. I, I hope it happens, <laughs> they, they but no, I probably good. won't. They are good. He, he seems <laughs> to be dark horses. Are uh, he seems to be dark horses, resident uh, colorist for the alien books. Cause he, uh, he did all of life and death. I thought it was Dan Jackson. That was sort of like the main, well, no, I guess he's working most with um, Brian Wood series at the minute. Correct, yeah. And uh, Rain Barreto did, I, I believe, all of Life and Death as well. So, yeah, he's done quite a bit for them. You know, I'm just going to check, actually, just so we've got um, accurate information. So, yeah, he did, he did Predator. Um, Which one? He did Prometheus, Life and Death, this is. Oh. Uh, Rain Burrito, sorry. He did Aliens. I'm going to assume, yes, he did everything. Uh, oh, we're on AVP now. I might as well actually get the information. He did AVP. And he did uh, Final Conflict. So, yeah, Rain Burrito did all of Life and Death. But did he do Fire and Stone? No, that was different. Totally different colors, I think, on everything. Even that, that's that's impressive with all the different line art styles for for life and death that he did the colors for all well, that because brian, brian thies ended up doing most of line death as life and death as well though oh yeah yeah i think it was was it only was it only aliens that had a different artist uh prometheus th- had a different artist too right no prometheus was second yes yes no you're right i think brian thies did all of them apart from prometheus yeah i think you're right i guess the the art had a bit more variation in the original fire and stone Anyway, sorry, you were saying the the art for um, for Dust to Dust. So yeah, I I like it. Again, I think um, one of the things I look for in an Aliens comic with with line art, especially, is how dynamic are the aliens? You know, do they look like they're just frozen in a pose, or do they look like they're actually moving and actually in in action? And I think he portrayed that really well. You get the sense that they're being chased by the xenomorphs, and definitely a style of the the second film. Just your typical kind of Cameron alien style, which which is good. And again, that's portrayed really well here also. Um, 
One of the things I always like, though, is the style of I know we always bring up this comic, Aaron, but the Destroying Angels. It's it's like a it's like a biomechanical ADI alien in the Destroying Angels. And I, and I really like that, too, when when they kind of do a more original take on the, the the xenomorph design rather than, oh, here's the alien exactly as it as it looked in Aliens or Aliens, Colonial Marines or Alien Isolation. You know, I don't like being able to recognize where that alien is referenced from you ruined the fire and stone for me <laughs> i did i'm sorry thing. those, those yeah. mecha action figures <laughs> yep and the, you know that's just how some artists work and some people I, I would think most people wouldn't even pick up on that but for hardcore fans like us we definitely do and and what i personally would really like to see is like more original design variations from artists you know still have it recognizably be an alien but take it in your own direction a little bit so I do think the aliens, though, like I said, in their movements, they're drawn really well and kind of uh, going to what I was talking about in original looking aliens. What do you guys think of the variant covers with the highly stylized looks about them? Not a fan. I really like them. See, I've struggled with a lot of the variant artwork lately, actually, like the stuff for um, rescue that's been coming out. Their variants I don't like, but that's just me. That's just me. Uh, what about I, you guys? Was- Have you looked at them? Yeah, as far as the variants, I'm looking at my physicals right now. I bought the variants for the first and the fourth issue. Uh, I actually really like them. I mean, they're they're definitely uh, they're very stylized, but I like the uh, the uh, bright uh, sort of purples and blues on them. Um, I think they're cool. I mean, I, I honestly wouldn't even mind seeing a a comic with interior like that, something a little more stylized. But uh, I, I think the variants are pretty cool here. And the variant cover artist is Carlos Dienda. Uh, sorry if that pronunciation's wrong, but just to throw that out there. Well, we never actually really talk about the the covers in this, uh, in these you know these review episodes, which is a little unfair actually, I think. But it's just something that always slips in my mind. But I I really love um, again it's um, it's Gabriel doing the 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 standard covers for this. Yeah, I, I love all of them. I think all of them are really nice, particularly issue one's cover, which I think is being used for the trade as well. One in three are the strongest, I believe. Yeah, as far as the the regular covers go. See, I think I prefer one and four actually. Four is the one where um, they're sort of chasing him up the structure. Yeah, and I I think you don't. A problem with covers in general is they don't generally represent the quality of the artwork inside them. What is great about this one is that yes, it does. You know, it is Gabriel, and I think I think it's um, Rain as well doing the colorway. So. These covers, you know, they are representative of what's inside, and I love it because I do love the artwork in this. I love the color palette that takes place, and I love a lot of the texture of the of the darks. You know, when you think alien, you do think blacks, you think blues, you think greys, you think dark color palettes. But I loved a lot of what the, um, happened with this was, you know, like the, the, the sandstorm, it had texture to it, the shadows, it had texture to it, and even like the, the frames of half the, you know, half the humans being in color, it wasn't flat black. Um, and I really liked that. I thought it really gave um, a lot of the artwork depth. Really, really loved Rain and and Gabriel's team up on this. It was such a huge strength for this series. And I do really appreciate the quality of, of a lot of the artwork at the minute. You know, that we, we said that the narrative of this was simple. We said the same of um, Dead Orbit as well. And I find a lot of the, the, the artist's strength is really, you know, helping support these simple narratives and making it you know making it stand stand up and that's great because comic is such a visual format again i have such a a problem with a lot of the older comics 
is because while the stories, whether they're simple, whether they're trying to be complicated, whether they're just playing with a particular aspect of the law, if they look shit, then you know that's that's half the half a comic's appeal down the pan. So yeah, I'm really loving seeing seeing the, the you know the strength of of the artwork at the minute in these series is it's great. Going back to what Ridgetop said about that, I, I definitely agree with how this particular art style really captured this dynamic inertia of movement from the aliens, which can, I, I suspect, can be difficult for artists because I suspect a lot of artists are used to depicting human movement, whereas the alien would move in, move in a more... Like if you see a tarantula rushing across the floor, that kind of a movement, it's more of a blurring type thing. And I, I agree about the colour palette. It, it was a great environmental colour palette. But I, I would also like to give praise to some of the shots, like we mentioned earlier, where the alien's just looming out of the darkness or it's just rising up slowly. Things like that were conveyed really well, just as much as when we had the... um it's one of the few stories where we see a chest burster attacking people as well. But there was, yeah, it's, uh, it was an, the, the, the chest burster, the face huggers, they're all really well drawn. And there was one scene where they go, they're trying to get to an escape shuttle in this, um, facility and we see this. It looked, I could be wrong, but it looked like, tons of aliens just sort of like linking up to one another look and it looked like um how you see army ants where you see yeah. yeah where you see army ants where they make what's called a bivouac which is basically they make a nest out of their own bodies and that looked beautiful and there were also these um parts where the boy is cut now this is the other point i felt was a bit of a wasted opportunity not because of the art style because the art style was great but i noticed that you had max on max and he was before he gets to the queen's chamber he comes across this part where he has to get to you know he's trying to get to this escape shuttle but between him and the escape shuttle there are these beautifully drawn eggs and i thought oh great they're unopened eggs you gotta have this what how are the characters gonna negotiate getting between there and there with all these eggs and they just went past them and i was expecting one of them to open up because i think that would have played on because the boy clearly is going to have some face hugger related trauma because he saw it on his mother's face and that's what led to the one that's stalking him and i think that would have been really neat to play around with because it would have played into the themes that had already come by him versus at least one if not more of these face huggers or trying to get around them done something with that because i thought that was ripe for coming up with an inventive solution you know he had the the synthetics head which we're probably going to come to next but um he just wandered past them and i thought that was a missed opportunity particularly with how well this artist had had been able to realize the texture of the eggs, the texture of this beautifully realized hive nest material along the walls. It's some of the best alien nest realization I've seen since the days of, I don't know, Dennis Bouvet, John Bolton, because they did nest material really beautifully. Yeah, I just thought, 
that was a shame they didn't do something with the with the eggs considering they were so beautifully done so um but the art style is definitely a high point throughout the whole no matter whether you have issues with some of the story just the art style in general i'm definitely a fan of this it worked beautifully and it really helped to immerse you in the um the not just environmental, but the, as we were saying earlier, the chaos of what's happening. I mean, it starts out with a, with Max just looking out of a window and, um, a guy shooting. You don't know what he's shooting at, but then he shoots straight through the glass at the kid. And he's picking out bits of glass from his skin. All, all that yeah, works that so cool well because you, you got this sense of like actual movement from it and it was rushing through past his skin almost. It, it, you just felt that. So yeah, I, I really like not just the dynamism of the movement he was able to capture, but just those moments where it's just things are just still. But you like with the aliens all linking up or the eggs, but they're just things where you just you need to spend those extra few moments just taking in this grotesque beauty that the artist has managed to convey. And for a comic, as you say, that's at least half, if not more, of the enjoyment factor. Aaron, I think I think you're right in you mentioning that yeah, when the art is lacking or if it doesn't match up to the covers, then it, it can prevent like full enjoyment of the comic. I think in human condition is probably the biggest example of that for you, right? And for me, like maybe even Earth War. I give in human condition such a pass just because of how much I think once you hit that story's twist, how much that artwork actually supports it. Like a retroactive. Oh, yeah. I still haven't read that one. That's one of the ones I still haven't read. I haven't read it either. <laughs> it's it's a weird one for me because I hate Sam Keith. I do. In, well, his profession, uh, professional <laughs> examples of aliens. I hate him. <laughs> I'm sure he's a little bit irrational vendetta. <laughs> well, no, let's be honest. Earth, uh, Earth War was what his original title was. Female War. Yeah. Looks dog. And how much of that is the colorist? How much of that is Sam? I don't know. But it's well, very Barbarella like. Yeah, compared to book one and Nightmare Asylum, especially, I still think Nightmare Asylum has some of the best art in oh, any Aliens book ever. Yeah, you, you go from some of the best to some of the most questionable pretty quick from book two to book three. The problem is that Sam Keith's artwork, it's not necessarily bad on its own, but it's because it's so heavily stylized mm-hmm. at a point some of the, not just the characters, but the costumes, they they almost feel like a caricature, which is why yes. I said a few moments yes. ago. It felt very, if you watch um, Barbarella, that old 1960s science fiction, if he did an adaptation of that, he would be perfect for Barbarella. But when you come from Dennis Bouvet and, that, and they did something which it was so atmospheric, it matched the alien and aliens in the cinematic color palette the stylization it felt so photorealistic it was just alien and you went immediately yeah but you you, it was so photorealistic and then you went from something that's host heavily stylized and we and we've had a recent example of this where some of the um concept art from blomkamp's alien 5 project released again and you had like um, a mutated alien that was like part centipede or something might have been a a mutation it might have come out of an unusual host we don't know but a lot of people in the the comment section they were saying oh it's too much this that and the other and i was thinking to myself you're saying that at least half because the artist who drew it it's so heavily stylized where if you'd have had someone like john bolton or something 
do the same concept but in their style i think people have gone oh that looks scary um sam keith because you went from the artwork of book one and two into sam keith and he's not he has his strengths but it's because the contrast was so jarring that's what hurt it and there are other artists who, you know, they're not so great. But I think if you yeah, went high, from one of them... The, um, another highly stylized one as well. Yeah, if you went one of those to Sam Keith, the contrast wouldn't have hurt it. But it was that contrast. That's what hurt it. I do recommend giving Inhuman a condition a go. It's, it is an unusual one. I've been meaning to read it. I have it on my shelf. I just need to read it. Give it a go. It's it's a novella, so, you know, it, it shouldn't take you too long. Read that tonight after we're done here. Okay. Well, I'll read it on on the plane when I go to L.A. tomorrow. But Well, we'll mention that at the end of this, actually. But, Eric, you mentioned that really cool chestburster scene right after the the dropship crashes, which was also a cool scene, like where the big airbags come out. It just rolls down this hill like that. Oh, yeah, I like that that idea. Yeah, reality? Is is anything doing? Yes. Um, Yeah, yeah, when there's like the Mars landers, they have the airbags that pop out. It's just to help with entry on the planet. So I I saw that. I I did think that, oh, there's the problem if it goes against jagged rocks and it actually happened in this. (laughs) I like like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like you were saying about that chestburster scene, it also kind of goes back to the mother defending the son question because we see the chestburster scurrying away and then the kid has a gun and one of the, the other passengers grabs the gun from the kid forcefully and that's when the chestburster comes out and, and kills that person oh, who I took really the gun. I considered that one as, as a moment of that. Yeah, that's a cool point. And it was, it was really cool actually seeing the chestbursters be aggressive. I like that. There was a lot of small moments in this. Um, like um, the acid, you know, having an effect. You know, the acid was the reason that the, the car yeah. crashed. The acid was the reason that the ship, well, one of the sh- reasons that the ship um, was damaged as well. Um, so it's just little moments like that. I really like to see get a bit of um, get a bit of a highlight. Well, it's something about the alien, which is its own inbuilt plot device. It was literally one in the first film where you it prevented it was there because O'Bannon and Co. They thought an indestructible alien would be too ridiculous, so they had to give the characters a reason to not just shoot it. And it's nice to see when when a writer takes advantage of the just the natural things about the alien. I'd still like to see a, a writer in a future comic take advantage of the comment we had from ash about it's replacing it with silicon cells that's something to do with a silicon the fact it is at least in part a silicon based life form what could you do with that as a plot device i don't know but you have acid and so many stories just have like with the games they have no they have they they take account that it's it's gonna shoot acid all over the place when it's hit but they don't use it to to further the story and in this it furthered the story it had the car crash it had the ship not being able to leave orbit which in turn furthered the story it's nice to see when someone uses that to move the story along as opposed to just having you know a you know, just a an individual little action piece, and then it doesn't contribute to the story. So I really like the fact that Acid is coming back. Make Acid great again. <laughs> well, that's that's something I always think of this in terms of um, you know when we're thinking of suggestions for other things. So like if they were to do a new Alien game, something I would love to see, especially in the in the Battlefield days, is um, 
you know, the acid able to actually interact with the environment. You know, there's a locked door that you can't get through. Trigger an alien to come and show up and try and, you know, create. Yeah. Or I think Out of the Shadows did this, but it's been a while since I read slash listened to it. But have the alien actually bleed on a ship and cause an issue, cause decompression, cause a blockage that they've got to get around, something like that. I would look, or even I would love to see them injure an alien, acid cause a breach, and some could just get sucked out of the hole. Give it Goes, a bit more that's presence. a newborn. Yeah, g- give it a bit more presence. But so it's such a small thing in the in you know in the big picture. But I just appreciate seeing it used so much. Hey, maybe you haven't been keeping up on current events, but we just got our asses kicked, pal. Let's talk. Let's talk characters. So, uh, I'll pass it off to Ultramorph to start us off on this one. What What did you think of of Dust to Dust characters uh, of Maxim of of Sinita of Nameless Captain? Uh, I mean, I, I thought the characters they were. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think they were the strongest part of the uh, of the story. I mean, I, I liked Maxim. I, I wish they would have done a little bit more. Obviously, they were playing up the emotional trauma happening to this child losing his mother. We get a little bit at the end when he has the nightmare. I think that was a, a good sort of note to end the story on yes, with his art. Very alien um, callback was, as yeah, well. What exactly. Aliens. That was that was very good. Um, I wish we'd gotten, uh, I forget who brought it up earlier in the podcast, that the story is supposed to be from his perspective, but in a lot of ways really isn't. It's more yeah, like that's sort of explaining the story around him. So I think there was kind of a missed opportunity there. And the only other character that I really felt was noteworthy, obviously, the, the, the colony administrator. He was interesting. I didn't really know how to read him. I think the twist that he was a synthetic, you know, like most of them are, is, you know, was telegraphed fairly obviously. See, I, I didn't see that one coming. Really? Yeah. Well, you didn't? No, I mean... I saw it in hindsight. Yeah, in, in hindsight, the hints were there, but as I was reading through, I wasn't thinking, oh, this guy's going to be a synthetic. Oh, this guy's going to be a synthetic. Okay, what about that bit of... Because it was obvious the moment I saw this bit of dialogue where... Yeah, we know who you are and what you are. And whenever it's in an alien story you know it means they're going to be synthetic, unless they're going to canonize Arcturians or something, but I thought they were you just know calling it's him, going to be synthetic. I thought they were just calling him corporate scum. Yeah, me pretty too. Much me too. It was, no, because it was like in bold. That what was in bold, so you knew it was a plot point. Well, in, like, like Ridgetop said, in hindsight, yes, it's quite obvious. But no, as I was reading it through the first time, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it coming at all. I tell you what, with that bit of dialogue, I was actually hoping... Oh, it's going to be a red herring. It's that he's not a synthetic, but it was going to be, and I don't know what, but it was them leading you to assume he's a synthetic, and then bam, it turned out to be something else. And I was hoping that's what would play, but ultimately, as was said, it was telegraph. That bit of dialogue, the moment I read that, I thought, oh, he's, he's really, is he going to be a synthetic? We always have a synth. Can it be something? But no, it's a synthetic. So yeah, I agree. That was, that was, I think if they'd removed that bit of dialogue and we actually had the reveal of him being a synthetic when, you know, Max realizes he's a synthetic, that would have been interesting. Although I don't think him being a synthetic necessarily added much to the story, unfortunately. Ultramuff, did that play off properly for you? And going off the last point that Xenomorphin just made as well, did it make a difference to the story? No, I don't think him being a synthetic really added anything. I think actually, had he not been a synthetic, it may have been slightly more compelling 
given that his his whole reason for why they allowed this to even happen on the colony was just the pragmatic decision, well, the colony has failed, we need to get some income, we need to make some money. That might have actually played better, you know, as a flawed character if he'd been human. So I think being a synthetic yeah. making that kind of decision, of course, synthetic would make a decision like that. It's very calculated. But uh, if you'd been a real person, I think that would have been uh, more interesting. Although it must be said that that panel where Maxim just, again, showing up sort of out of the darkness around him, holding the fucker's head was phenomenal. I think that whole thing was worth it just for that one moment alone. Yeah, the headless android kind of gave me a, a bit of David vibes a little bit. It did that to me. I, I just thought, okay, he's holding his head. I, it didn't make much. Well, just because that was the only me. time we had ever seen seen that, you know. That now give me head. destroying angel vibes too. They did that Ball. there also. Uh, There's something see, with I, synthetics in their heads. I don't. I don't know what it is. <laughs> because of Ash. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think. I think someone would oh, listen yeah, to this. Would probably. Would probably say, "Oh, well, you needed him to be a synthetic so he can haul his head around." But you could have had the same effect if someone was trapped in a control room, like the recent Alien Isolation game, and Max would have needed to communicate with them via walkie-talkie or a wristwatch or so. You could have had the same effect. That's why I say it didn't add anything to the story. Well, yeah, you, know, you needed his. I think the the iris detector on the door or something needed him, but I mean that wasn't necessary either. So yeah, I, I could have done it without him being a synthetic. Yeah, you were right as as far as the ash head talking. I should have been more specific because we had seen that. But I just mean yeah. like carrying the head around. The head is talking with the the protagonist while they're they're going with them and transporting the head is more along the lines of of what i meant by the david vibes yeah, any other thoughts on on the characters ultramorph or were the rest just sort of there yeah they were just sort of there for me i figured it was it was a two character story as far as i'm concerned obviously there's uh sunita the, the woman he goes back for but uh yeah they didn't do much for me outside of uh outside of max and the uh, administrator I did like that scene though, where he goes back for her, but it 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 did make me wonder, like, how was this boy able able to pilot this thing? I know that the android makes a comment like, "Oh, it's meant to be mostly automated," but still, he's controlling the stick, and it's like, okay, well, how automated is it really? If if he can just turn straight around after blasting off, pretty much to to pick her up, but. Um, I thought she was a good character. You know, you could tell that she she cared for the boy, but there just wasn't enough development with the other characters, which maybe there wasn't meant to be. Like we were focused on this intense survival situation with this kid, and even in the end, like he, you see, he gets adopted after they get rescued on a space station or or other spacecraft, and um, he wakes up from a nightmare. And and that's another thing. Like if if we would have seen Blomkamp's uh, alien version pan out. Did the nightmares ever really go away? Like they mentioned at the at the end of Alien, is it really safe to dream? Because like that's a seriously traumatic event, like losing your family and everyone you've ever known in this colony just being killed in in the worst ways imaginable. So so I, I did like the the ending a little bit because it's like shit, this kid's gonna have to deal with this now. But at the same time, it makes you think like. Wouldn't word of this get out like a colony this big and this large of an outbreak happening there? Yeah. Like, how does how does this not get out? Like, I don't know that the state of the universe in this particular comic, but 
That's that's the problem with the canon because of that line in Alien Resurrection. That's why I can't on something of the if it was a little town like Hadley's Hope, I could have bought. But not only is it a massive colony, but you have survivors, and I think that's way more difficult to explain, reconcile with the resurrection. Like especially also there's a an, I don't know how big it was, but the USS Carver that went down as well i don't know if you guys realize the little in joke about the captain's name captain prego <laughs> how sorry how did you figure that as a joke well, well it you know impregnation and you're assuming there's an infestation of all that uh, shit okay, i yeah. thought that a little bit mm, when i heard it but that's, yeah that's, it's that's difficult fair. to explain how that would something on this scale would, would be covered up that's i can't reconcile that with canon there I know you don't agree with me on this one, and I can't remember whether we actually spoke with it on a podcast or whether it was just on Facebook chat. But I think it was Facebook. It's just this whole, you know, pe- people do say, you know, like you're saying, you know, how can how can something this big not be picked up on? But we don't truly know the scale of mankind in you know in this point that might be a blip in the grand you know the grand population with how many colonies there are what what the communication infrastructure is like what the news yeah, reporting but we're like. not so it's one thing to say they covered it up from the public i could totally buy that but when you're trying to reconcile it with perez it's you oh, know, well, the, few, yeah, the government knowing all there's a military ship that went down there's gonna be an investigation man and i assume that ship was in communication with home bases and all the rest of it they knew what the situation was but that's, that's my problem military as well at the end of the day yeah but they all the files would have been all i'm saying it's it's not impossible but when you it's that rich say when you have something of this scale you, and then you immediately watch alien resurrection with that line because it's not covering up from the public it's what united systems military which i assume is the unified earth military there's only one i assume i mean they could wreck on that to mean just one faction it's possible but they're meant to have access to everything that went on with the alien and especially with that military ship that went down it's they should have known something it should have been something to not justify that the last encounter we had was you know ellen ripley to all intents and purposes made the alien extinct that that's what sticks in my craw about i like you know as a story it's fine it's just that if someone's gonna try and make the argument that no this this story's definitely part of canon i'm gonna go because ah, it's too it's too large in scale well, these that's, days that's you just have to ignore resurrection <laughs> i mean no it, it's it, you are you are completely you are completely right in that that line devastates the yeah, I wish it hadn't been in there. Well, guys, I think also dealt with about this. the big delete. Yes, I was just about to bring it up. They also <laughs> dealt with this back in the early 2000s. You know, I say dealt with it. It might not be a, satisfac- a satisfactory method. of these Yeah, things, I don't buy that at all. It, it is, <laughs> I don't know. It is the reason for it as far as, as the comics are concerned. Yeah, but that was You're... before the comics themselves rebooted again and again. And again, it's, it's getting a bit... You've, you've always nice. had the uh, the expanded universe kind of butting heads with the core films, and I think the problem yeah. is the core films, uh, by their nature, are contained, and in in some of them, namely Alien Three and Resurrection and the prequels, in my opinion, 
have uh, confined the universe in a number of ways. Like it's, it's so funny to me that in aliens, colonial Marines, which I still have not heard if that's not canon now, because it was before it's that not, game came out. Not, have, have we not, have we not been through this? It's no, allegedly it's... been revised to not be canon, which oh, okay. is why Fox's opinion of what is and isn't canon it feels so fluid. Anyway, regardless of the canon discussion, it's I find it super funny that Bishop Two is there, like, no, give me the alien, and then oh, back to LV four two six where we already have our whole base set up. Yeah, and we're already <laughs> studying the aliens. Well, Clone of Marines is trash. Let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah. But it, I mean, do a it's, of that one. I know, but I'm not looking forward to it. When that line comes up, I I wish it hadn't been written. It's like with Alien Three. Alien Three made it that queens are specialised chestbursters. I wish they hadn't done that because it means that a normal alien can't become one because it doesn't make evolutionary sense. But that is what the precedent is already set. So from my perspective, we have to go with the precedent that's been set so yeah i i totally agree that it's really tempting to just say well let's ignore it but i can't ignore it because it's there i'd like to ignore it and i i like this as a story but it's just in terms of yeah it's really large scale i'm not seeing how to reconcile it with that that's all i think you're right i think the um like we were just saying sometimes the films just don't match up with the the expanded universe by their very nature because the the expanded universe like its name would suggest is uh different artists and different creators exploring parts of this universe and sometimes i feel like the films maybe try a little too hard to make themselves feel super important for the overall story yeah and by doing so they they discredit a lot of the expanded universe it's kind of like we saw with with star wars legends and all that with disney taking that franchise and just saying well um, everything that happened after Return of the Jedi is pretty much non-canon now. And a lot of fans took issue with that because there were some really great stories told post Return of the Jedi in that. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of a tension that's, that's there. I think honestly, the films should be more like the comics. I've made this argument ad nauseum now, especially bringing it back to Blomkamp's Alien again. People say, Oh, do you want to destroy Alien 3? It's like, no, I mean, I love that movie. Blomkamp has said he respects that movie and he never wanted to get rid of it. But yeah, uh, I, I think the universe is getting to a point where it's, you know, alien is this idea that just resonates with people. And canon is so convoluted and messy anyway that we should just have different interpretations. Like we've had different arcs and different reboots with the comic series. I think it should be the same with the films personally at this point. But well, maybe I know the, a lot of fans um, would disagree with me on that one. Yeah, maybe the answer is for Dark Horse or whoever just to do a line of EU, which is like, you know, the the Elseworlds. It's it's a what if. And they just branch with that. And then it's it, you don't have to worry about it touching anything else because it, it would be officially its own thing. I mean, they, maybe that's the solution to it because... Man, canon has got so bloated nowadays. It's just, <laughs> so you say it does paint itself into a corner, especially with the cinematic interpretation. Well, that's the problem yeah. is, is franchise is going to franchise. So you, you yeah, can't, yeah. I mean, unless it's something like Star Trek where, you know, even that, the canon Time is lines. falling apart with fucking, with that too. Like I, I can't think of a single series now where the canon is just perfect. Everything fits like correctly. It's like, no. These stories have just gotten so vast that that not all the pieces are going to fit together and you kind of have to pick and choose what you want to go with. 
But steering back towards dust to dust, uh, I think there was just one sort of final. <laughs> <laughs> the topic of the podcast. Hey, hey, that fit okay? Because like we were saying, yeah, no, it's, it's relevant, the outbreak. It's a discussion in itself. I think. I agree. One, I think one last thing I would like to just talk about, and yeah, I have touched on it briefly, so it might only be a small thing. Was the individualizing of the main alien in this? I love it when they do things to make the aliens distinctive whether it's grid um whether it's again you know the the last one's kind of, uh, dead orbit kind of sort of ripped this one off with the the arm but it's the twin the, the twin factor yep. as well so i really loved seeing mom lose the armless the arm. alien yeah. yeah that was that was really cool to see that they after the the dropship crashes they they know a chestburster is still in there and the dropship is damaged beyond repair anyway so they all uh, evacuate and destroy the the dropship with a self destruct or something like that. But the uh, the juvenile alien survives. It just its arm was blown off. But you're right, Eric. There was that one mistake panel where it's like coming down the stairs at him, and then suddenly it has two arms again, and you're just like, what? Yeah. Well, jazz jazz hands does not work without the s, without the plural. Come on. That 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 was a throwback. That's kind to of a alien. big thing, though. That's like what? I know. Like, that 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 was. I know, I know you tried to do it, and I've seen somebody else try to use it as a justification for it wasn't really mum. But no, I think that was, I think that was nothing more than an art mistake. I did think that initially. I thought it was another xenomorph that popped out of the shadows somewhere, and that she was going to save him again. That could have been interesting in itself, but yeah, it does look like because the the one armed one's just nowhere to be seen after that moment. So yeah. Oh no, she comes back to save him from the queen. Yeah, yeah, it has but one not arm within that. that See, it's not like they deal with that alien and that the one-armed one's still standing there as well. I mean. uh, what about you, Ultramuff? Any any thoughts on the individualization stuff? No, I mean, I, I agree that I, I like when we get actual aliens that become characters. Um, somebody brought up Grid earlier. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely uh, thought it was interesting that that was clearly just an art mistake in that one panel. But, uh, no, I uh, I enjoyed the uh, sort of the, the character of, uh, of mom so yeah it was cool by me <laughs> okay does anybody else have any specific elements they want to bring up about this series just going back to characters again i felt they were serviceable but they seem to mostly be there for exposition rather than feeling like characters in their own right um when i brought up the thing about the story was meant to be from the boy's point of view I said it didn't really feel it wasn't conveyed properly enough to me, strongly enough. And somebody else mentioned that, well, it's, you get a lot of the, the other characters are explaining things around the boy. And I, I felt it would have benefited because kids, especially of a very young, like the age that I, I felt Max is meant to be. I think it was supposed to be 12 or 13. Yeah, they they tune out when adults are doing that kind of thing. They sort of go like you see it in aliens when you they're talking about like how are we gonna like our plan of action. And she's just like playing around with a grenade, stuff like that. She was and that's to be a bit younger though. Yeah, but you know, kids do that. They they just they either tune out or they find other things more interesting. Or I think it would have been it would have conveyed more that it's from Max's point of view if we did have more access to his thoughts or he would have mentally gone back a bit more to his like his mother this thing that's meant to have traumatized him 
it kind of comes back, but it doesn't happen as much as you'd expect it to happen for a, a childhood trauma. I think there needs to be a bit more of that. When the adults are talking, I, I think he should have mentally drifted back to certain things. Um, things like that, because otherwise I, I don't think it gets conveyed. It feels more like the story is revolving around him, but it's not necessarily from his perspective, even though that was the writer's intent. I think that should have been signaled more strongly. We should have got more from Max's point of view. He, sh he should have been, maybe he'd have noticed something while the adults are arguing and, and it's, you get more of that from his perspective, not just from a third person type of thing. So I think that he would have benefited more from doing that. But yeah, the, the, the problem is, as I said earlier, it is a straight A to Z survival thing and you're already in the midst of it. So you don't really get the chance to connect with individual personalities so much as talking heads who are mentioning this that and the other about their immediate situation and that's very much sort of the justification for why we're not learning about these characters and i think it goes towards you know what gabriel was trying to do with the story you know you hit the ground running uh, maxim is not privy to all the details of what's happening he is not privy to these characters backstories and they are not going to stop in the middle of this thing to tell people their life story no but you don't get as much of an impact. Oh, when no, I, like I, I completely I think, agree. Well, I just think it works in terms um, of what he was aiming what, for. What's his name? Um, Roman, I think. He's like, yeah, he's on his last legs or so. That 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 didn't have any resonance with me as a as a reader. It's meant to be more of a poignant, you know, this this is a human being and they're coming to their. But it was just like you know they're a red shirt to me. I didn't have much of a reason to care about that happening. Every, everybody in this is red shirts, really. Yeah, and that's the problem. When oh, everyone's ready, it's like we've, it's got no impact in that sense. That that's the big problem with Alien Three. Everyone's a red shirt. They're carbon copied bald dudes who've done things bad, and you generally don't care about. It. Some people literally say, "I started rooted, rooting for the alien," and they knew that was a bad perspective to have in a film, but they felt so divorced from any emotional resonance that they just thought, "Well, I'll just treat it like a slasher film," which ultimately was in many ways and i think that's to the detriment of a story like because you do have this group it's a small group of survivors they've got like one gun between them and i think we should have connected more with that we should have had something there because otherwise you do have this red shirt problem so that's why i say the characters are serviceable but it would have been nice to have more reason to care about them other than just exposition machines yeah, I can't. I can't disagree with you in terms of that. I just, I can understand sort of why it happened. But no, I, I do agree. You know, the characters in this didn't really leave it. Yeah, it'd be I, nice. They, they, yeah, they know. I mean, who. even even just with the main characters, if we got a bit more flashbacks about their life on the colony before this, yeah, yeah, help. And what I did think was interesting that you just reminded me of now. Um, well, obviously, we're going to be in completely opposite um, opinions with this one. But you know, you you brought up um, flashbacks for. Um, for Maxim or just some more of his internal thoughts what I found I ended up liking was that we didn't well not necessarily liking but I thought was interesting was that we didn't get the you know we didn't get the thought bubbles we didn't get the narration from Maxim but instead we had the panels looking at him moodily doing things and stuff like that and I I found it interesting because I was then sort of putting myself in his shoes and imagining what he was thinking but then it's you I know I mean, I mean this is the, the problem vessel. with with 
you remember Newt's tale? I said it, 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 I, it felt like Newt's tale. One of the problems that a lot of people identified with Newt's tale is that as soon as it gets to the point where Hadley's hope has fallen, it turns into basically a direct retelling of Aliens, and it doesn't take advantage much of the fact that it is meant to be from Newt's perspective. It just looks like a comic adaptation of Aliens instead of taking advantage of doing it from Rebecca, Rebecca Jordan's point of view. And that's what this it's not as much of a problem here. But I just felt that doing it from a child's perspective, it wasn't taken advantage as, of as much as I would have liked. It's perfectly fine. I'm not saying it's it's a deal breaker. It's just I would have liked there to have been, because if you're doing that, it's not a deal breaker. But I just feel that being a story from a child's perspective, it just, it, it would have benefited and resonated more with me as a, uh, a reader if it had taken a, more of an advantage of that yeah i mean i i can kind of see both both of your arguments really aaron i i think you kind of sold me with the whole well it's better that we don't get his internal thought process but i still think you could have had a little more development like you see the scene where his mother is like oh this this new job was supposed to get us out of this or or whatever and I think if we had more of that characters and, and you saw it again with, with the designer hog conversation as well. Like um, there, there was some character development there and I get like, it's this intense survival situation where it's a crowd of people and yeah. And that's kind of the, the nature of the older couple as well too. They may just be red shirts, but it still just kind of shows to the whole fucked up nature of like, you know, not everyone in society is going to be fit for an uh, extreme survival situation like that. Yeah, but, I like the fact that there was an elderly. Not everyone is like a young age. <laughs> that was actually nice change. But yeah, I mean that that pretty much sums up my point. I th- I think you're right, Aaron. I think I think it's good that we just kind of um, follow Max and and we don't. Maybe we don't. The flashbacks might have been a bit much, but I still think we could have learned more about the history of the colonies some some way or another if not flashbacks then maybe uh something else that's actually something uh leading on from that uh, in terms of exposition and, and explanations was something i didn't like that gabriel did in the last issue was giving us an explanation for the infestation I thought that went against the idea of hitting the ground running. I didn't think it was necessary. And I don't think ultimately it matched up with sort of the start. Because, you know, in the very first issue, when you're seeing facehugger corpses, there's what looks like canisters, containers next to them, whereas it looks deliberate. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's 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 kind of a weird question that's, that's only really, um, you only pick up on it for a moment. And not to mention, they say, oh, the deal struck a colony with the Whaley Newtony Corporation, which I was like, well, isn't this their colony? I guess it's not. Like, I guess this is a government colony or, or something along those lines. But everyone seems to work for the company as well. So it's kind of like, well, <laughs> were they were they researching these aliens here? Because they, they just said it was like storage hidden away in the uh, atmosphere processor, which yeah, the atmosphere I processor think... was cool to see more of the inside of that with the algae bloom scene and everything like yeah. that. But, but it's like, what What are they doing with those aliens? Like, why are they being stored? Was this an outbreak test? Kind of like we saw with those concept ars- artist teases for the, the replay watch thing. Like, I don't know. But yeah, that actually confused me. And it's like you said, it didn't feel necessary. They could have just gone with a 
trying to get to the exit. They didn't need an explanation of how it had come about because you know there's a thousand and one ways for you get one alien loose. It's like Ripley says, you only need one of them to get down there. Um, but it ended up confusing me because I thought, why are they just storing them? Why, why have they chosen a, a civilian colony to store them? Why not keep them in a contained lab? What, what's going on there? And there was no hint of gone. Maybe they were storing them for an outbreak test. You know, that was just a ruse to, to unleash them on the colony. But, yeah, but then they said they were keeping them in storage, which infers well, you know, extended length of time. Yeah, the company could have lied to them just so they could, you know, release them. But then why even store them? Why not just release them? You don't need to bury them in those specialized units or anything. I suppose then because it'd be... They'd be blindsided. Well, yeah, and they would be blindsided. They wouldn't have necessarily have precautions in place or knowledge of them, and it's just a natural, in quotation marks, test of the. But again, you don't, you don't just just shove them out the back of a shuttle. You don't need to. (laughs) You've also got to get personnel to move them in there. That's another layer of it. It's it felt unnecessary. Yeah, the whole thing. They just. I mean, we're just bullshit in here about coming up with things we've got no idea what it was yeah it just felt ultimately superfluous it, there wasn't no, any you're right. need for it no argument it was this big thing of like why aliens were at the colony that was just kind of this throwaway line and you're like wait what yeah. like so it's funny because our attitudes are sort of changing towards <laughs> there might have been a time where we were like well i need to know why everything happened how this all happened and then we've got things like this and then we've got things like the cold forge where it's like i, I didn't actually need to know where the aliens came from <laughs> so yeah that's, that's kind of funny to me i think it depends on on the story like again i i always kind of put it to the the alien versus prometheus example right like alien has really good ambiguity it has questions in that movie that i don't want to be answered whereas prometheus like the plot hinges upon big questions that don't make sense that never get answered. Like there, there's a big difference between ambiguity that's, that's effective and just enhances the the mysterious atmosphere and ambiguity that it's like, wait, that doesn't make sense within the context of yeah, the plot mis- or how would that really happen? Mystery. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and I mean, I think our attitudes are shifting towards, you know, needing to know why things happen because, you know, they're focusing, it seems like now, on telling more sort of self-contained stories where the how it fits in with the rest of the universe doesn't necessarily so much matter. And probably also because we've seen, seen things at this point like Fire and Stone where they're really just picking, you know, picking things like LV-426 dry in terms of believability and plot. I'd rather it be ambiguous than them connive another way to get eggs off of uh, LV-426. <laughs> yeah, that's a completely valid point as well. You know, don't don't keep it too contained. Not everything has to come from the derelict or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd like I'd, some of the nice, nicer little contained older comics are when it's just like people come across a random. I, I think one of my favourites is just it's just called Alien. I think where it just deals with an, a completely extraterrestrial group of like tribal level yeah, creatures yeah, no, that is alien. and and it it turns out it's like from the reader's perspective it's clear that it's just like a human ship that had somehow got infected happened to crash there and they're just dealing with the problem but they but it's just like a random other organism ship had it on and it crashed and it's like on the thing um that's a film i i gain something from every time i watch it we don't need to know about 
what thing flew the flying saucer, you know, what the backstory of that is. All that matters is that something was on it. We don't know what the civilization was, what they're called. It just happened to crash there. And the film works, in, you know, you don't need to know that. You just know there's a there's an, a dangerous element in the story which has turned everything on its head and the thing flows from there. You don't need the backstory. I think maybe if you had it, it might have diluted the story more. Yeah, well, it, it's like Ultramuff said, isn't it? It's very dependent on the story as well that we're telling. But yeah, that's a, that's another wider conversation for another thing. Switch to DCS ranging. 240, nominal to profile. We're in the pipe, five by five. Ridgetop, do you want to lead us off? Final thoughts and a numbered score, please, sir. I, again, I, I think it, it's a solid comic, and I will be picking up the paperback, and I hope there's some extra material in there to to check out as far as the development uh, and artwork uh, of this comic goes. I'll probably give it a 7.5. I'm leaning towards an 8, but for me, it just didn't quite get there, but it was it's still a, a worthy Aliens comic, and, and I really enjoyed the artwork, especially the variant covers as well. I, I just think it's a solid comic in the universe that poses some interesting questions and definitely well worth a read. Xenomorphin? I think probably seven-ish out of ten. I love the artwork. Plays around with a concept I've actually wanted to see played around with, but I think it could have benefited from doing things in a different way story-wise. But ultimately, there's nothing wrong with it. As, as a story it works for what it is so yeah it, it's likable but um yeah it, things like the characters being not as strong or you got a problem when you have a non-speaking character i.e the alien is more memorable and has more of an impact on the story than the speaking characters so i, I think it could have gone through a, a, another draft maybe of the script or whatever but um yeah it's it's not a deal breaker so it it's likable for what it is i would say that uh it's a very solid little series um it has some great art um i think the series looks great um it plays around with some fun ideas the dna reflex it's always good a series that starts a conversation uh even if it doesn't necessarily handle the question it raises and in a way that's going to make everyone happy i feel the seven out of ten sentiment it's uh it's you know, they could have done more with the characters, but the art is, is good, and it's just a uh, it's a fun, short little series. And uh, I like what Dark Horse has been doing, giving uh, one writer, uh, you know, they write and draw the whole thing. Um, it's given us some pretty fun series, so that's a, it's another in the line like Dead Orbit, that it's a, it's a, it's a good little mini, but uh, it didn't blow my mind. Now that's something we didn't actually talk about, but I will just mention in my own little review as well. I do love that we are getting these... Um, single creator sort of series is at the minute because i think it gives it a nice sort of cohesive vision obviously not quite the situation same situation as as um dead orbit since uh, gabriel didn't color this as well like um stokoe did uh, but it's still cool i like that you know we've got it with this we've got it with uh, dead orbit and we've got it with william gibson's alien 3 as well i do hope to continue to see that kind of stuff done especially if it's, it's the same sort of quality of artwork we've been seeing I can't, I can't really disagree with anything anybody's said. Um, you know, it, it is solid. It's nice to see them playing with, um, the law, especially this aspect. I never, I never saw 
this sort of coming. I, d- I didn't expect to see it be played with. Characters are not massively memorable. Um, would I like to see Maxon come back? Yeah, I like seeing damaged goods played with in these lore. Uh, it's nice to see the consequences of um, previous encounters come up. I think I've mentioned that in some other stuff we've done. So I'd happily see him come back. But again, yeah, it's no hoop. There's there's nobody here I'm dying dying to see again. I I was struggling with what to to score this one. I was stuck between a seven and an eight simply because again, how much of I love the artwork in this, but I didn't think it was strong enough to give an eight to. And in the end, but I also didn't think it was quite a seven. So I stole Bridgetop's suggestion and went for a seven point five. You know, smack bang in the middle. But what about you guys who are listening um, or girls? Any disagreements, any agreements, you know, sound off, let us know, let us know what you're thinking. What have we, we've got William Gibson's Alien 3's last issue. Yeah, when does is, when is that finish up? As of recording this Wednesday. Really? Yep. It's out on Wednesday? Yep. Oh. And then me and you will be doing an interview <clears> with Johnny <throat> Christmas on the Monday. Uh, next Monday, sorry. A week, a week on Monday. A week from Monday. Yeah. Good. Uh, did you want to bring up the LA thing? Yeah, we'll talk about that as well. So that'll be our next episode. Is the um, is the Johnny uh, Christmas interview, and as uh, Rich Top has just alluded to, uh, we've got a nice chunky piece of editorial that's just gone up. But I'll let him explain that since he's the one who's been slaving away. So yeah, I was recently in Los Angeles and I got a chance to tour the uh, Alien 40th Anniversary exhibit being put on by University of Southern California's School of Cinematic Arts and the uh, the Visions and Voices initiative of the school. And uh, we got a tour from the curator of the exhibit, Alex Ago, and it was just uh, an awesome time. I met up with a former staffer there, uh, Mike Monahan, who's a professional photographer now. And he and I just took loads of pictures and some video. And I put together a comprehensive article that you can check out on our website that just it has written elements where I just go through my experience of the exhibit as well as the photo galleries of the images we took and a, a video tour that I put together with um, narration from Alex taking you through the whole thing. And I also got a chance to interview Alex as well after that. So I've been working on that for quite a bit. So if you guys are curious, if you're not able to make it to L.A. before it closes on the 12th, um, we tried as hard as we could to uh, give you the experience of it without being there. So hope you enjoy that. But Surprisingly enough, I will be going back to L.A. tomorrow. Uh, Fox is doing a premiere for uh, some of the fan sites of the, the fan films coming out uh, next month. I believe they're they're all being released. End of March. Yeah. Or really? That soon? All of them? Uh, well, I thought they were doing like one, one a week. after the other. It's one a week starting next Friday. Okay. So we'll get a, a bit of an early peek on that. So keep an eye out for our thoughts as well. And something else I just wanted to mention as well, because I'm really excited about this one, was uh, Xenomorph and, and I recorded a really fun interview with Carrie Hen uh, that we will be releasing on Alien Day. So also keep an eye out for that. That will be episode 85. Okay, so that's that's pretty much everything from us. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to sound off with any thoughts and uh, whatever on, on the episode. Hit us up on emails, hit us up on the 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 relevant posts on wherever social media you're seeing this or on the forum itself. Um, Ultramorph, where can folk find you online? Uh, you can find me over on the forums, obviously Ultramorph, and also uh, on Twitter. I'm a GRNBRNDD12, and uh, Mike Green, I'm on the uh, most of the Facebook groups. 
And I can't be asked to do our personal ones because we're not that important. But in terms of our... <laughs> no, you are all important, really. I love you all. But in terms of the site socials, we are on Twitter as at AVP Galaxy. Same for Facebook. Um, Alien vs. Predator Galaxy will also bring that up. Um, Alien vs. Predator Galaxy on Instagram. YouTube is Alien vs. Predator Galaxy as well. And the website URL is um, just avpgalaxy.net. This has been Corporal Hicks. And Ridgetop. Xenomorphine. And Ultramorph. Signing off.